Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Huyen, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 18 by Fika with Rice. This week we meet the two times Olympic medalist, eight times world champion, Katie Hoff. We learn how to embrace the suck, how to find that hidden gear inside you, and how to reach your goals no matter what bucket you want to succeed in. A great episode with gold nuggets on how important good parenting is, and actionable advices you can take today to reach any goals you may have. Let's get this Fika started. This is Katie's story. Let's go. Hello, Katie. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You have an extremely inspirational story, dubbed the female Michael Phelps. You're an eight times world champion. If I've done my homework right, then you made your first Olympic team at age of 15. And you can pride yourself with two Olympic medals. What a life resume, at least so far. You know, you're still young. Thank you for being here with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Katie, I thought by kickstarting this, by asking you, what did having a mother who was a college athlete teach you? How was your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely very fortunate with with two parents who just kind of got it. You know, I was a very intense little kid. And so they just empowered me to go for it and, you know, put me in the driver's seat and, and certainly weren't going to hold me back from anything I wanted and anything I wanted to take a risk on. And so I think specifically my mom really understood that because obviously she was highly competitive, very phenomenal athlete herself. And so it wasn't something where she was worried that I was going to burn out because I was leading the charge. And I think maybe other parents who didn't have that experience in athletics may have been worried about that or maybe tried to kind of slow things down. And I think that momentum really helped me launch my career. What did your, um, for those that are listening and they might not know, but what, what did your parents excel in when they were in college? Yeah. So my mom was actually still like one of the all-time leading point scorers in basketball at Stanford. And my dad just, you know, dabbled. He was just always, you know, he did track and field. He dabbled in gymnastics. So he was competitive himself, but my mom was really an elite athlete. Oh, wow. And do you have siblings as well, Katie? that were athletes? I have a brother. Yes. Similarly to my dad, he did you know track and field and played sports, but he's really a musician and a singer. So that was kind of the, his, his bug that he caught, but our whole family has always been active, always been somewhat of athletes. And that's just kind of part of our DNA and part of our family. Very cool. You said that your mother and your father when they raised you, they sort of knew what type of limits and how much they could push you, that they knew about that. I wanted to ask as well, because while doing homework for this podcast, I've learned that a lot of things were not forced on you. So how did you get into swimming since none of your parents were doing that? Yeah, I got into swimming really because our neighborhood had a team and some of the older kids that I really looked up to were doing it. And so I asked my mom if I could try out and, you know, didn't go very far just because it was summer swimming. I was five and 
really cold, but it was something that I just wanted to be a part of the group. Like I wanted to be like the, like the cool kids. And so that's really how my, I guess, career at this, not career at the time, but that's really how I stepped into swimming for the first time. Did your parents introduce you to any sports when you were that young? Like, did they bring you to try basketball or any other sports? No, I, I did a little bit of like uh, dance and, and tap and ballet. But in terms of any other sports, it wasn't something I'd show interest in. So again, like my parents didn't force that on me. It was something they were like, well, she's not showing interest in it as long as she's interested in something and pursuing some type of goal. They were happy with that. Okay. You were sort of a child prodigy, so to speak, when you were young. How did you become so good? Like from literally starting to just try to swim at age five, but at already at 15 being in the Olympics, what happened within, within those 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't really start out. I certainly turned in very quickly into obviously an Olympian at such a young age, but I didn't naturally have it out of the gate. I think, you know, five, six, seven, eight, it wasn't something that was natural to me. And I was getting beat a lot. I didn't really have the work ethic quite yet. And then I think something just clicked when I was nine of just understanding how to push past my comfort zone, understanding, you know, kind of catching that competitive bug. And then, you know, from there, it was just very much, I would say, on the obsessive side with the details. I was very much making sure that every repeat, every rep that we did on dry land, all of that was near perfection. And I think that just relentless drive to constantly squeeze out every bit of effort and everything that I was doing really contributed to me being, you know, having such vast improvements. You know, I was making huge drops even between the age of, you know, 12, 13, and 14 to be able to ultimately make the team when I was 15. I mean, when you grew up, you grew up in the same age as myself, more or less. I mean, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have DVDs, you know, for that matter. I mean, VHS, like at best. At age nine, you're really young. How do you know, like, the exact stroke you need to make or those little small details? Because swimming is all about repetition, you know, which a lot of sports is about. But how do you know that you're training correctly, so to speak, and you, you are not getting the incorrect technique? I think at that point, it's definitely technique, but I don't think it has to be as perfect as people think. You know, I was very coachable. So I was very much, you know, whatever my coach said in terms of effort levels, like if something was supposed to be all out, like I was taking that very literally and going as fast as humanly possible. You know, the technique was something I think my coach did a great job of balancing, like, hey, go out, go race when it was time to be at a meet and weaving in the technique work in practice. I think sometimes when that gets mistaken is when someone's thinking about it, when they should just be turning their brain off and racing and having fun, especially at a young age. And so I just think I was fortunate enough to, enough to have really great coaches who understood me and understood the best way to push me. What do you think is required? Like looking back at age nine, because I mean, we're talking about children. What yeah. do you think is required to win in swimming at that age? Because you said technique is not the most important. So would you say it's stamina then or just by curiosity? I mean, I think it's, there isn't one thing that stands out. I think it's a combination of everything. Like you have to have 
the ability to put in the work in practice so that it, it becomes like muscle memory in terms of strategy in a race, in terms of stamina, in terms of power, in terms of technique, like they all kind of come together to make one big force. But for me, I mean, even at nine, it wasn't like I was, I was small. I wasn't super powerful. I don't know any nine-year-old super powerful, but I just certainly had an attention to detail or, or began to have an attention to detail where, you know, I was just, I was just listening to my coaches. I think it sounds so simple, but really taking everything at face value. And, you know, obviously there, again, like in that melting pot, there's a little luck, there's a little talent, there's a little hard work, it's a little technique, like it's all coming together to make everything go well. And so I think I just had the right amount of everything as well as that own self-drive, which again, I, I always think like, is it, is it something you can teach? Is it something you're born with? I think again, it's a little bit of both. I think you have to have some level of that, but you have to have the right people around you, coaches, parents, mentors that pull it out of you at the right time and don't force it on you so that you resent the sport or you resent what you're doing. It's interesting what you're saying. You said like it's so important to have that network, support network around you and not pushing it too much. Like that drive has to come from within so you don't resent, which that you don't resent the sports and not the coaches and your parents, which happens to a lot of athletes, you know, not only athletes, people in general, you know, like parents forcing their kids to be dentists and doctors. And then they're like, well, they hate their life, you know, but where did you grow up? Like, did you grow up in a place that were famous for swimming, that they had access to like great swimming coaches or were these like, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised in Sweden. So a lot of like coaches in soccer, like many sports have basically parents, other children's parents that are teaching you and they just get the basics. Like, did you have like specialist coaches or were these like assistants basically like other parents? No, I mean, I mean, age group swimming is obviously not, we weren't, I wasn't working with Olympic team coaches or anything like that. I think I just found coaches that, I mean, they, they weren't just assistant parents or anything. They were, you know, they had dedicated their lives to working with youth and working with athletes. And my, and I was very fortunate, like if a coach wasn't working well, or, you know, it, I had found a coach that I really liked and they went to another team, like we would follow that coach. And so we recognized how important that influence is on an athlete, especially just because I was so intent on what the coach said, it made a big impact of what the coach was saying to me. And so I don't think I came out of any like crazy team or it wasn't like, you know, some type of elite team. I just think it was the right individuals. And then obviously when I was 13, um, coming to MBAC, which even people think like I came to MBAC, which is Michael Phelps' home club, but I wasn't working with Michael's coach. I was working with a coach that was actually at a satellite location. And I just, again, a really like a terrible pool, six lane pool with 10, 10 individuals in the group. And I just really clicked with the coach. So, okay. That's interesting. And it's very interesting because when I grew up, I was a very good ping pong player in Sweden. But I grew up in a place that was, uh, it was a very small village. We didn't even ha- have a club. We had to drive very far to go and train. And I would literally just drill and drill and drill. And there was no way to verify that my technique was good because we didn't have access to DVDs or any professional coaches. And the only way to verify that we did good was basically results. So that's why I was asking. Because swimming requires so many hours of pool time, basically. So, 
Yeah. And I mean, the nice part about swimming is that, like you said, like, you know, when you go to a meet where you stack up, even, even in the nation, in the state. And so that I was someone who's very intent on that from a very young age. Like I knew what my competition was going. I knew what they were splitting because it's out there. You could see it's on the internet. And so I think that really helps to motivate me, keep me on track, keep me drilled in because I knew what was happening around me and, and really where I, I stepped up. Yeah. I'm curious because you progress so fast and you said that earlier in our chat here. How was the environment at home? Like, how was the chats with your parents and your brother? What were the discussions at the kitchen table like? You know, I think it's funny the difference between both my parents, you know, my dad was very much like the hype man. You know, I would, I would definitely talk about practices and how I was doing and I was going best times and practices and just like what that meant. And my dad would just get really excited for me. And my mom was definitely in the lawn to try to kind of temper that emotion of, Hey, you know, don't get too high. Don't get too low, you know, staying in that right in that middle zone. And so I think the two of them balanced each other out to be the perfect combination when it came to coming home after a really long day and kind of making sure that I wasn't placing too much pressure on myself, which was inevitable just because of the intensity I had as now, but even as a child. But I think it was really fun to be able to celebrate the daily wins. And that's really, I think, how that was ingrained in me. I wasn't just thinking about what's happening next year or what's happening at the next Olympics. It was, okay, what happened today and why was today a success? Was that something your parents taught you? Because you have to be very mature to think like that. I mean, adults have problems thinking about daily wins. You know? Yeah, no, it was just something that, again, and I think the environment of the club I was at, my thinking on things, like I always wanted to know what the expectations were, what success was with that set. It was just something I always asked for, even incessantly, right? Probably to the point of being annoying, right? Raising my hand of, okay, what does strong mean? What does fast mean? I need a time. I need to, I need to understand what are the parameters here so that I didn't just finish the day or finish a set and go, well, I think that was good. Right? I didn't want to think I, I wanted to know either way. And some days it was, I fell short and some days I exceeded expectations, but I've just always been that way. And it's actually hard for me to understand the opposite, right? Like how can you just go through a day and then finish and not know specifically how it went, you know, were you successful? Were you not? That's what keeps that motivation lit up uh, inside, in my opinion. What was success to you when you were 15 and what's success to you today? Well, I mean, success to me when I was 15 was all about swimming, obviously, breaking records, uh, making Olympic teams, you know, every success was all defined. There was nothing in my, in my personal life that was I viewed that success because swimming was, you know, everything. And now obviously being retired, it's, it's very much geared towards, I've actually multiple buckets. I have the opposite. I don't have just one thing. There's so many things going on in my life, whether it's my business with my husband, my speaking career, you know, mentoring with athletes. So it's kind of defining what that looks like in each bucket, which is kind of exciting because if one day one's not going well, and maybe I fall short, then maybe I'm exceeding expectations in the other. And so it's actually nice because there is that, I'd say balance, <laughs> which wasn't the case when I was 15. And so, you know, I'm able to really 
I think, have a healthy relationship with that intensity. I think it's important to balance your life. I think it's important to have perspective, you know. When you were young, and I like asking questions about childhood. So your parents, you were training so much. Did your parents drive you then to the training or how did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, didn't get my license till 16. So yeah, they were, you know, my mom was driving me to the pool and picking me up and same for my dad. So yeah, they were, again, they were very dedicated to my goals and what I wanted and put me in the driver's seat quite literally. And whatever, you know, whether it was a meet or needing to travel, they were, they were all in. Yeah. Katie, what do you think is the the difference between the first place and the fourth place person when you're 15 or 13, so to speak? What do you think is the difference? I think a lot. I don't think there's one thing. I really believe that. I think it's a combination of, of some luck for sure. You know, where you peak and not having injuries and not getting sick. And then I, you know, I think the, the level of intensity with consistent intensity, I should say within workouts day to day, having that mental fortitude to be able to push past a lot of discomfort. And I think that's really tough nowadays when People are getting awards for just participating, right? I think that maybe... I hate that, by the way, Katie. I hate that. I know. I think it just, it it conditions people to not feel or or almost, I mean, places and, and rankings forces you to push past boundaries that you didn't know you could, you know, because that's the incentive and you're chasing it. And so I think that ability is really difficult. And I think the people that end up on top consistently, not just one off, but consistently are the ones that have that ability physically and mentally. Yeah. Is that the hidden gear that you talk so often about? Again, when I was doing homework before this podcast, you talk a lot about the hidden gear, like inside you and inside your gut. How do you think one can find that really? Like, do you think that comes naturally that, okay, I'm so comfortable being like outside of my comfort zone and being like discomforted, so to speak. Do you think that comes naturally? I think that on some level it can be natural, but I think you have to work at it every day. And I think that you can't even understand how to do that if what you're doing doesn't mean everything to you. So for example, if you're, you know, your parents force you into becoming a lawyer or a doctor and you hate it you're probably not going to go above and beyond and take extra time to outside of the your career to learn more skills and do research and and all those little things that I'm not a doctor or a lawyer but all the little things that go into being exceptional in that specific career and same with same with sport right you're not you're probably not going to take it to that extra level of discomfort on a set or in a meet if it doesn't mean more to you than anything, like more to you than breathing, eating, sleeping. And so I think that's more the challenge. The challenge is finding that thing that means that much to you. I think I was very fortunate to find that at nine and 10 years old. But I also know the other side of the coin, when I was forced to into retirement, I had to go through that same process. So like, okay, well, what excites me? What am I passionate about? What's going to give me that 
light up feeling that I'm willing to go the extra inch centimeter, like literally those tiny extra efforts all add up to create the difference between good and great. And I think it's said a lot. Like I think it's something that people always say, like go the extra mile, you know, put in that extra effort, do things when the lights are out, whatever, however you want to say it. But I think it really takes evaluating and looking at yourself very critically in the mirror. I was constantly not doubting myself, but constantly questioning my effort. Like I do a repeat. It's like, did I like, did I really push past that point of discomfort? Did I have an extra half a second in me? I think that's the piece that it's really challenging and vulnerable to be in a state of just, you're just questioning yourself, but that's what has to happen because your coaches don't know. Your mentors don't know. Your parents don't know, like only you inside truly know where you're at. And that can be very exhausting, but again, it's what, to me, what gets you where you want to be. Yeah. It's lonely to be successful in anything that you do. I think those conversations inside you, I have them myself too, you know, like uh, when I'm training, I can get emotional sometimes because I push myself so hard, but I know that, okay, this is how hard I need to push because that's where I need to be, you know, so to speak. I saw on Instagram that you're into CrossFit. That's a perfect example. You know, sometimes like when you're doing the AMRAPs, you're so freaking exhausted, so freaking exhausted. And then you see your friend like doing like really good and you'd be like, just one more round, just one more round. And you're almost tearing up sometimes because you're so freaking exhausted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I will say I'm, I'm not super into CrossFit. That was more for my friend. Okay. <laughs> but I, I do, you know, obviously my husband and I have a, have a dryland company and I do, you know, a lot of like stuff on Peloton and kind of pushing past the limits sometimes for sure. But I mean, to be honest, I struggle to do that now physically. I have obviously other goals that I really you know, kind of take it to that extra year, but I don't have a physical goal anymore. And so I find it 10 times more challenging to push into that extra, extra year because I haven't found that goal that means more to me. So I can kind of speak to both. Like I know what it's like when you have that goal and how quote unquote easy it is to get into that extra gear because you have that goal. But I also have where, you know, it's very difficult to push into that super crazy out of your comfort zone when you don't have that goal. Let's talk about that, Katie. Like you said, when your career ended and you had to make this exercise that, okay, I can't set any more physical goals, you know, so to speak. And I need to be looking at other back buckets in life. Your sort of spotlight ended, you know, just from one day to another. How did that make you feel? I mean, it definitely wasn't fun. I mean, I, to be clear, I certainly can set physical goals. I just haven't found one that excites me. Like I, it's just not exciting to me to do like a max out back squat or to, you know, run a marathon. It just, it doesn't, you know, it's an amazing accomplishment, but for me personally, it doesn't get me excited. And so, yeah, to feel like you, you know, go from one experience where you know exactly what your goals are they mean more to you than anything. And then have that door close. It's a lot of self-discovery to understand, you know, what is that new thing? And it takes lots of ups and downs and failing and continuing to push 
almost like relentlessly, relentlessly pushing to find the new thing, just as hard as you relentlessly were pushing towards a goal. And that's really difficult when there's so much unknown, so much out of your control. And you just kind of have to trust that, you know, eventually, as long as you keep pushing forward, eventually you'll find that spark again. How did you go, go about setting some goals after your career ended? You've started a speaking career you've written a book. Like, how did that go about? Like, did you work with a mentor or did your husband help you in like steering your thoughts going forward? Can you walk me through that exercise or thought process? Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, it's not as like, clear cut as people might think. You know, there's a lot of floundering that's going on. There's a lot of being upset and being depressed and not knowing, you know, and I think that's okay sometimes as long as you go through the grief process and then move forward. Obviously, getting stuck in grief and getting stuck in that feeling sorry for myself that's happened isn't great long term, but you do have to allow that process to come about. Like you have to kind of embrace everything that happened. And I think part of why it took me four or five years to even want to write a book, to even want to speak about my experiences is because I just kind of pushed it down. Like I didn't turn and face. I didn't embrace those emotions and those feelings because I just thought, okay, I just need to move on and need to move on. I need to find something really quickly. And that just wasn't realistic. And so I think had, you know, and in no amount of what my husband could say or mentors, it was something that I had to come to the realization. And I think doing what I did, right, just continuing to try new things. And, you know, for people who are going through something similar, just don't stop. Like if, if one thing's not working, that's okay. Move on to the next thing. Do not stop. And I think that's what ultimately helped me arrive there. Now, I could never, when I started five years ago, say, this is the path that's going to be. You don't know what curveballs will happen. But as long as you believe that, I always say when things are down and things are just not going your way, it's like, well, then I'm due. I've got to be due, right? Because you've been putting in the process. You've been trusting that it will eventually manifest itself. It's just probably not in the way that you want or as fast as you want. But it really is true that eventually things click and they just click when you least expect it. I agree with you so much. You know, I think building my own business and just trusting your process I think it's so underrated. I think too many people today, you know, they don't have the patience in the process. They think things are going to just happen like that or that, you know, some crazy idea is just going to pop up or something's going to come to them, you know, in an email. It doesn't work like that, you know, if you don't put in the work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's the, you know, people want like a magic pill or just the secret sauce. And, you know, you listen to so many people who have been successful. And again, I do believe like it is a combination of everything. Like, there does have to be some luck, but luck will always come to you. It may just not come to you on the third or fourth try. Maybe it comes to you on the fifth or sixth try. And so it's luck. It's, it's everything we've talked about already. But just like in sport, those pieces have to come together. And so that's why it doesn't take in the first three months of something for it to just completely explode. And if it does, great. Amazing. You, you won that lottery, but you know, I would guarantee that something else down the road is going to present itself and be a challenge and make it so that you have to be patient. You know, it just, it's just kind of like the cycle of life. Like I said, like if things are down, 
it's your due, your due, like it's coming. But I think a lot of times people almost give up right before that moment. And that's just heartbreaking because it's like, you're so close. You're right there. Just hang on a little bit longer because it will. I mean, it's happened to me I, five years where just felt like nothing was going right. Nothing was clicking. And then suddenly just everything started clicking and things were coming out of the woodwork. Like, wait, how is this happening? You know? And, and that's just because I, I didn't stop. How did you get into public speaking, Katie? It was something that, you know, through my sponsorships, you know, even starting at the age of 16, I, you know, would speak in front of groups and, or athletes. And so it's something I always enjoyed, but, you know, there's a difference between just kind of sharing your story for sponsors, but actually creating, you know, a keynote of an hour and and really having some key takeaways and messages. So I just really feel like it compares so well to swimming. You know, it's, it's a performance. It can always be better. It can always be improved. You have that adrenaline before going out. You have that validation and affirmation if it goes well. And so I just found such parallels in it that, you know, after I did my TED talk, you know, 2018, uh, I just kind of caught that bug and uh, really, really just enjoy sharing my story in a very authentic way. Yes, I watched it. It was really cool, your TED Talk, Katie. Thank you. Congratulations. I did one as well a couple of months ago, a TEDx talk, and I really enjoyed it. And I think I caught the bug too. So I would love to give some more speeches. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Okay, but that led me to my next question. So you said that one of the lessons of like how you got into public speaking was that it's sort of you got the same feeling as preparing for like a competition or a race. What are some life lessons that you have learned from being a competitive swimmer that you are now applying into life? I think it's what we just talked about, right? The ability to just relentlessly keep driving forward. And, you know, I think the hardest part about going from athletics to different circumstances in life, in your career, is swimming is very you know, here's the time it's you individually. If you train this way, you know, there could be other outside factors, but you pretty much know what the t- what time you're going to go. Right. It's very black and white. The outside world is not like that. You know, you could do everything right. You know, for sales, you could do everything right. You could have everything lined up, follow the process and things could fall through. And I think that's probably the hardest part for me of being someone who's so type A. So this is how I want things to go. And then understanding that I could still do everything right and it could all fall apart. And so being able to kind of what I talked about is, is having that faith that you're going to be due, even if time after time, things kind of keep coming up, just thinking, just keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward no matter what. And, and that's you know what I, I did in my career when things weren't going well. And, you know, what I've tried to replicate in in life after swimming. Katie, I'm curious, and I'm sure the audience too, when you were training as an athlete, you spent so much time in the pool and in the gym too. What did you do outside of training? I mean, I think anything, you know, normal teenagers do. I, you know, I loved, you know, shopping. I loved going and having dinner with my friends. You know, I loved watching Netflix and spending time with people that I loved. You know, I think that was the main Thing. I certainly, I didn't have like a ton of other hobbies, obviously, because what I was doing was pretty time intensive, but I think just things that made me 
relaxed and, and happy. And that was always, you know, spending time with people that meant the most to me. Yeah. Okay. When you went, when you were picked and selected to go to the Olympics, the, the, the times that you went, how, what was the reaction of your parents? Do you remember that? I mean, definitely. I think just super really overjoyed for me, you know, they had, they had gone through a lot of sacrifice as well. And so to see my dreams come true and, and see it come true in such a big way, I just think they were really happy for me. You know, my, both my parents are not, they don't want recognition there. You know, my mom never wanted to be interviewed or have the camera TV camera on her. It was very much about, they wanted it to be about me. And this was my dream, my sport, which I think helped my longevity in the sport because again, they didn't just force it down my throat when I was young. So yeah, it was just pure happiness that things were were going my way. So a lot of parents that have children that probably are in the audience too, that send their, their kids to do sports. They also worry about how this, their kids are doing at school. Were they expectations when it came to your grades for your parents? Like, okay, you can go and swim, Katie, but you need to do well at school. Were there ever these conversations? No. I, well, I mean, I was homeschooled for a lot of my, obviously college, I was in, in college, but I was high school, I was homeschooled. And I mean, I think it was, just, I was never going to not try at something. It was just not my personality. So as long as I was taking care of it, getting good grades that were going to allow me to get into college, there wasn't really that vibe. And they obviously knew that for me at that time, like swimming was the priority, if I'm being super honest, it was something that was so important to me. So it was just a general understanding of, you know, this is something, school is something that that will help you in your future. It matters. It's getting a degree matters. And so make sure you get that part done. But it wasn't something that ever really needed to be said. What are some of your favorite books, Katie? Our audience loves books. Yeah, I love books. I mean, I love I would say autobiographies that that really tell a story. So, you know, Andre Agassi's Open was a, a favorite of mine, just him being so vulnerable about so many, you know, painful things that happened throughout his career. Jesse Itzler, Living with a Seal. I love that one. It's so motivational. You'll be like, okay, what am I doing here? Let's need, need to do some push-ups. Yeah, he's become a great mentor of mine. I think when I was younger, I was a big Harry Potter fan. So... I'm definitely more of an audiobook person. I'm not going to okay. lie. I, I don't love to read, but I love listening to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Great. I love that one. That's amazing. Yeah. I read so it in two days. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, anything that's just, I think I'm so, always so interested in, you know, people that are successful, their stories, and it's always more than meets the eye that, you know, people, I think, look sometimes at someone who's really successful and think, oh, they're so lucky or must be nice. And and there's always, everyone goes through struggles and trials and tribulations. And so to hear that from others is, is very inspirational just because I think it gives you that perspective. Again, when you're going through your own stuff, you're not thinking, oh, you know, it's just me or woe is me. It's everyone goes through it. And again, the people that are able to push through that and persevere are the ones who have that breakthrough and that success. Yeah. Okay. Our audience loves routines and tactics. So how does your first two hours in the morning look like? Do you have a special ritual? I think for 
for me, it's starting the day. I mean, I typically like to work out. Um, if I don't have, if I'm not doing any training sessions in the morning, I like to get a workout in. I, I mean, I just feel like I've been programmed like that for so long. And if the day gets going, things come up, it's just always hard to get that workout in. Love coffee. So workout, coffee, and then, you know, making sure that my inbox is aligned and everything's been been taken care of. I'm a big check the box person. So if I feel like something's out there or hanging or I haven't taken care of it, you know, I feel like I'm incomplete in some way and that creates a lot of anxiety. And so I'm always trying to do things to make my mind as, as at ease as possible, but making sure that, like I said, I've got a lot of buckets going on. So I have three or four different inboxes. And so making sure that those are all handled and I'm making sure that I, you know, keeping up and really diligent with everything that's going on in my life really helps me start my day in a really great headspace. Yeah. I like to wake up early and I like to get, I I like to meditate and journal in the morning, but I definitely like my training in the morning. I really love that. You know, in Sweden, it's really typical to wake up early and go and train gyms open like at five or 6 a.m. Living in Barcelona, Spain now, it's a little bit harder. Gyms open later. I don't know. It's a cultural thing, but you know, definitely get training in, whether that's jujitsu or out running or doing a little bit of CrossFit. So absolutely. I think it sets the tone of the day, you know? Definitely. Yeah. You just, I mean, you feel accomplished out of the gate, you know, and I think that's such an, again, momentum is so important. So, you know, the days where maybe I hit snooze too long and I don't get up, the day just is laggy. It's not even a word, but it just feels like, uh, like you have to like really kickstart yourself to be motivated or productive. And so starting things off, even if it's so hard, like just get your feet on the floor, get going. And then once you're into it, it's helpful, but it is hard when you don't have a coach anymore. And you know, you don't have to technically go and get that done. You start that internal battle, that internal conversation. And so it's, winning that conversation in the right direction sometimes for me. Like, I don't, I'll be honest, like I don't enjoy working out. Like I think people probably assume that I do because I'm an, I was an athlete, but I don't enjoy it at all. It's something that I know afterwards I feel great. And again, it it sets the tone for the day, but it's not something that I'm amped to do because again, I don't have a specific physical goal. And so I just know that it's going to help me so that's how I'm able to convince myself to get up and do it. But it's definitely a battle some days for sure. Yeah, I can relate so much to that. I mean, in a way, it was your job too, right? Mm-hmm. To be an athlete. So it's understandable, you know, like chefs, they don't maybe when they come home, they don't want to cook because they're exhausted. They've been cooking the entire day. Yeah. So. I mean, I think it's, yeah, but it's just, I mean, yeah, it was my job, but that goal just was there, right? I was trying to be the best in the world. I was trying to make Olympic teams. Like that gets you out of bed. But when you're like, well, I just want to look fit. (laughs) That's just, it's a lot like, oh, like, like, it's just not the same pull. And so I think if someone has a goal, like they're training for a triathlon, they're, they're training for their first marathon, they're trying to get a specific lift, whatever that may be, that's awesome. Like if that, someone can find that, that's great. But I think for the people who haven't, just know, like, again, like you look at someone, you think, oh, like it must be so easy for them. And it's, it's not like, it, oh. it's really not for me. And I think some people choose just not to, not to work out. I don't know athletes who are retired, you don't, but 
that's something that I just very much value in my life. My husband does too, of, of feeling good, feeling fit, looking fit. Like I know people maybe not always, maybe don't want to always say that, but like, I want to look good. Like I want to look yeah, of good, course. you know? And, and I think that's a great pull. And so that is part of it, right? Like if I don't work out and, you know, I want to go out on Saturday and eat what I want and eat pizza and, you know, have some drinks, like that plays into it. And so exactly. I definitely, I think that's another pull for me is beyond the, the productivity and, and the endorphins and all those things you get after. Yeah. It's just feeling confident, feeling, you know, look good, feel good. Right. So that's true. That's a part of it for me too. Yeah. I'm just thinking about thinking back about, I think it's every now and then I'm like, okay, I'm like staring at my shoes. I'm just sitting in the, in, you know, I don't know what is going to the entrance. I'm like, all Finding right, every reason like, well, like, you know, like you make up these like wild excuses and you're like, what am I saying? Just go. But it, you know, it's real. It's, it's it is real. A lot of people deal with. And so it's just learning how to yell at yourself or, you know, some days give yourself some grace. You know, I think there are days where maybe you are fatigued and you have to kind of understand like, am I just, you know, am I just saying, cause I don't want to deal with it or like, am I really beat down and stressed out? And, you know, maybe today's a day where I just chill and like you said, go meditate, grab some coffee and have some alone time. And great. You know, I think that that piece is, is real too. And, you know, obviously not doing that every day or, or every single week, but there are those days where you do need that break and you need to give yourself some grace there too. So, yeah, you need to know yourself, but yeah, those funny conversations inside you are really funny. Like the excuses I make up sometimes are like, well, you need to work. You need to go back to the office and you need to go, you know, pull up your laptop. You need to be answering those emails. And then the other voice like, no, you need to, you know, you need to go and train. You're going to feel amazing afterwards. You can't fall off the, the wagon, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm totally going to do it after I finish everything today. Like, <laughs> I'll do it at like 7 p.m. Like, no, you're not. Like, you're not, you know? And so exactly. that's nice. I am fortunate. I have my husband and I are very similarly wired like that. And so sometimes, you know, Maybe that does happen, right? Like you snooze, things come up and we'll literally look at each other and be like, no, like we're going to the gym at 7 p.m. Like let's make each other do that. And so, and we do. So I think having having a person in your life, whether it's a partner or a friend who can hold you accountable, like say, sometimes I'll post something on social media, like saying I'm going to do something just because I'm like, all right, it's out there now. Like I have to do it, you know? And so however you, whatever tricks I call them, I like tricks you can, you know, get yourself more motivated, do it. Like the, that's awesome. Right. I think sometimes I think sometimes people talk about, you know, something like David Goggins was obviously in Jesse Itzler's, you know, he talks so much about, I think this, like you have to be tough and you, and you know, it's, it's, you just get through it and you grit through it. And I don't think people talk as much about that. Even Olympic athletes, even people that are super locked in have days where they, they don't do it or have days where they are just battling to do it. And that's, people need to know that that's normal. And I think by knowing that that's normal, it makes it easier to climb the mountain and fight back. If you feel like it's this like incredibly tall mountain and you're like, Oh my God, like everybody else is doing it. You kind of feel beat down and you feel guilty and you feel bad about yourself. And I think that most of the time leads to just people giving up because they don't feel like it's possible. And so everyone goes through it. Everyone has those crazy battles. Everyone has that. And so I'm um, just, no, I think by knowing that you're not alone, 
find those tips and tricks that help you get up and help you stay motivated. It's true. I love David Goggins. Oh yeah, I love it a lot. I read the books with the book with Jess Itzler, listened to a lot of David Goggins interviews, and he talks about things that people don't normally talk about. Anyway, let's get back to the tactics. Do you have a special ritual before going to bed? I think for me, it's nothing crazy. Like I just, for my husband and I is getting in bed. Like we like to get in bed a little earlier than maybe when we're going to go to sleep and just have like, you know, share, we'll always be watching some type of show together. And so watching a couple of Netflix episodes, we always put it on a sleep timer because we're really big on sleep and how that affects things. But I think for us, it's just that time together. And then that decompression time where I feel like sometimes like if you're watching TV, you know, whether it's when you, right, when you come home, like you can feel like a pull of like, oh, I should be doing something else to be productive. And again, we're juggling three or four different buckets. And so there are a lot of things that we're doing in the evening up until it's time to go to bed. And so having this free of guilt, just something for ourselves is something we both really look, look forward to in the day. But other than that, I, I don't have anything where you know I'm doing any type of meditation or like tea or, or anything like that. I just like to actually have some time in the day where it's whatever I want and there isn't any have tos. It's just decompress. Yeah. I love a cup of hot water with honey and lemon. It's kind of nice. As I'm stretching, I like to stretch every evening, you know, it helps oh, a lot. Great. Yeah. What would you tell your 20 year old self? I think, I think two things. I think go with your gut, go with your intuition. I think when I was 20, it was very much about other people's opinions, what they felt was right. And I didn't have the confidence and maturity, honestly, to trust things that were pulling me inside of, Hey, I feel like I need to be doing this or that. And so I think, and I don't, I don't know if that's something that I could have done if someone else, like if I'd come down, you know, from the future and said, Hey, you need to have this confidence. Like it's something I think experience goes so far. And so having those experiences now, I have that confidence. I know what what to listen to and I know myself really well, but I think that one's big. And then I think the second one is just giving yourself some grace. I think I was really, really hard on myself during that time period and it, and it made it so that I couldn't enjoy things in the moment. You know, I was always next thing, next thing, next thing. I got to do this. I got to do that. And that's great. Like I was, I'm super driven and that's a positive, but the drawback to that is you're not, you're constantly having this guilt of you need to keep pushing instead of just saying, Hey, like be in this moment right now, this is happening. Enjoy it because it's not going to happen again. It's going to go by like that. And so I think those are the two that I would definitely tell any other 20 year olds, but I would definitely tell that to myself. What are some of your advice you would give to all the 15 year olds that are listening? I would say similar, more on the second one and more just about like really living in the moment and enjoying. I think at 15, I mean, I had obviously a very different experience, but you know, I was shoved into the spotlight very early. And so I feel like in terms of my childhood, I grew up, had to grow up really, really fast. And so I think being able to look around and enjoy what's happening to you and, and have that appreciation 
I mean, the things that was that were happening to me, the things that I was getting to do traveling, I don't think I had enough appreciation for that. And so I think if you can have appreciation and gratitude for what's happening to you, I think it's so hard because life moves so fast. But if you can stop for a second, even if it's on a weekly basis, even more so on a daily basis, if you can, it'll really enrich your life and, and give you that gratitude that I think is so essential. Kiri, I've never been a big runner. I've never been a big swimmer, but I know how to swim, you know, obviously. I, I'm thinking about running and doing an Ironman next year. What advice would you give me in terms of preparing the swimming part, obviously? What's funny is I get asked that question a lot when it comes to triathlon. Oh, yeah? And I feel like, I mean, I feel like the swim is the least, like it's the shortest of all of them, right? And so I think it's just about staying calm with the breath, like, you know, having that piece dialed in and so that you don't freak yourself out. So I, I think when people are, are newer to swimming, they have this because their face is in the water, they have this feeling. So I think that if you can dial that part in and just work on an efficient stroke, you're just trying to, the swim is just you trying to conserve as much energy while not kind of not fall into the back of the, of the group, right? It's not the first person out of the water. You know, if they don't have the run in the bike, it doesn't matter. <laughs> or like I could do a triathlon and be the first one out of the water, but I'll get passed up times a million on the, on the bike and the run. So I would say just, yeah, just focus on, on efficiency, not necessarily speed and you'll be okay. That sounds amazing. Sounds amazing, Katie. Where can people find you to learn more about you? And where can they go to say hello to you on social media? And is there anything you like them to check out in particular? Yeah, my social media on Instagram, I'm very active on that, which is kthoff7. And then my website, which is www.kthoff.com. So I'm very avid on social media. I post all the time. And so I just try to, you know, post positive things to make people happy, whether it's a funny TikTok or just some general motivation but I'm very interactive. And so if anyone has questions or anything like that, I'll almost likely get back to them. That's amazing. Thank you very much, Katie. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I had a lot of fun and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yes, thank you so much. It's a great chat. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.